Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode on the High Level Experience. Our guest today is a dynamic force in the world of entrepreneurship and motivational speaking. Known for his high energy delivery and potent message about human potential. Coming from humble beginnings and overcoming the odds as a college dropout, he has chartered an extraordinary path of self-education and relentless entrepreneurship. His journey is not just about personal success. It's a beacon of inspiration, showing that with the right mindset and strategies, anyone can transcend their circumstances and achieve greatness. Please welcome to the show, Andy Odate. Yes, let's lock and load. Yo, yo, What's yo. Up, Andy? Hey, really good to have you here, mate. That was the, what an intro, man. Love it. When you were saying that, I was like, who the hell are you talking about, man? That's dope. Who's that? Uh, it's, I got my assistant on it. She does a really good job. I call her ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, Andy, what's been happening in your world lately? Just selling SaaS, man, having fun and, and doing what I do as an entrepreneur, man. I just came back from the Philippines like two days ago. And so just traveling around the country and the world. And it's, it actually is, happens to be revolved around my SaaS. That's awesome. Nice. You know, I got to say, you know, when, um, when I came to Dallas and I saw you speak and the energy and with the passion that you were presenting on the stage and talking about your strategy what you do i was really impressed yeah i appreciate you man what inspired you what what resonated with you well um you know there are speakers and then there are speakers there are people that can deliver a topic talk about something and they might do some little up and downs to make it exciting but you are doing this thing with like you know like really you really like really into it and that really lifted the whole room actually that was the the matt desenos thing on sunday but yeah okay. that's that's what was really cool and then obviously when you were showing you know on the slides who you work with things like that i was like holy shit okay this guy is a big deal definitely gotta get him on the podcast right andrew hey yeah honestly i didn't know i was this was saying before the show i didn't really know anything about you andy so i was actually really impressed when i i learned more and i really want to learn more in this session but I did see you on high levels, one of their training segments. And I know that Paulson doesn't pick anyone for that, right? So it's like, you know, you got people like Joel Kaplan and Rob Bailey and all these guys that have really made it in their space. So I, I was just super impressed with that. I was like, oh, this guy clearly knows what the hell he's doing. And then learning more about you just before the show. I was like, yeah, okay, that's pretty fucking cool. I would say I'm in the, I'm in the come up in, in this space. I've been behind the scenes for a lot of different businesses and a lot of different brands. And my job was years ago was to fill up the seminars, seminar rooms for some of the biggest speakers. And I would go out in the field and my job was to sell tickets to get people butts in seats, right? And yeah. but it, in, my, in my journey, I remember I, there was a, I, had, I knew the front end, but I didn't understand the back end. And so I was filling up, bringing people, but I, I was like, where's the money being made? Is it on this $200 ticket sale? Is that really where the money's being made on $200, $400 ticket sale? Is that where the, the cash is? And then I'm like, there's a decent amount of money on the front end if you get 200 people to pay $200 for a ticket. But these big guys, there has to be something more. And then that's when I learned about the back end. And the back end could be software. The back end could be tech. The back end could be coaching. The back end could be whatever you're selling. I've seen different products being sold on these seminars and I started realizing that that was a strategy. Get as many people in front of you as possible, present your thoughts, your idea. I did a podcast yesterday where the gentleman was asking me, like, how could I, how could I, how could a nonprofit use a webinar to sell their to how could a nonprofit use a webinar to raise money? 
And I was like, I just raised a few thousand dollars for a giveaway that we, or a charity that we did last week in the Philippines. And what I did is I, I brought a bunch of people on Zoom and I just said, this is what my vision is. I want to help the people in the Philippines. Right. They've contributed my business. Like, will you be down to donate? And a portion said no and didn't do anything. But then a portion said, yes, like, where's the link? And I'll donate some money. And we raised thousands of dollars and we fed 300 families last week in the Philippines. So That is amazing. It's to me, it's almost. I don't know, maybe I'm being naive, but it's almost like easier to not sell on a non-charity or like a nonprofit charity podcast or webinar, but like to get people's attention. You could get people in the room and show them what you're doing because it's like, hey, I'm doing charity work. And this is a nonprofit. And people want to respond to that. They want to be a part of that emotionally. Maybe they don't pull out their wallet, but on a sales webinar, you have to hit your target market and you have to know like these people are in some way, shape or form in the buying process, right? Whether it's early, yeah. late, Something. And these people just want to be a part of a nonprofit charity event. So I 100% agree. And it's like it's a communication at scale. Like we can have a one on one conversation or I could just have a one to many conversation and in the same amount of time frame, create more results. And that's really what I found right. that the strategy of hosting webinars has been for me and selling SaaS. Hey, it. Cool. Man. Andy, have you always been a people person? I'm actually an introvert. I'm pretty introverted. That's really interesting Dude. because one thing that I remember you were saying is, I'm back to what you were saying as well, just a minute ago, where how you started, you were hel helping those speakers sell seats. And what's unique yeah. is that you were actually door knocking and ringing people up. So can you share with us a little bit what motivated you to start your first, this sort of, you know, this venture and move into the cell phone industry at such a young age? Oh, dude, you did your research, man. 19, <laughs> and I, I was the youngest T-Mobile franchise ever. And 19, I opened up my first location. And then we, I exited that business with, with four locations. I made my first million bucks by 21. And then I moved to the West Coast. And that's when I got into the speaking world. That's when I got into the speaking and seminar space. Because what I found that helped me mentally was listening to motivational speakers. Les Brown was one of them. And I would just listen to motivational speakers. But I got a sales job selling cell phones. I tried to work at T-Mobile. They didn't hire me. <laughs> Funny enough, I went to go end up owning one a few years later. But at 17, 18, I tried to go and apply for T-Mobile. They didn't hire me. They said the manager said I was too young, no experience, so on and so forth. But then I went and I got, I went down the street to a company called Metro PCS. And Metro PCS, the owner, it's all franchises. And Metro yep. PCS, the owner of this franchise, at that time, today he has 150 locations. But at that time, he only had 10. And he mentored me, showed me the the ropes of how to greet, how to qualify, how to present, how to close, how to get people's attention and bring them from a kiosk to your store and then how to convert that person, that attention to a sale, right? How to take their phone nicely and put it in your pocket. And next thing you know, you're pre presenting them a new phone and they already forgot about their old phone that's in your pocket. And then you sell them a new phone and then you give them back their old phone at the end of the transaction. You just like, gave me so much insight into what happens when I go get a new phone. I, I appreciate that, bro. <laughs> we used to like, we used to like, I, I used to call, we, we did something called a whisper. So my location, one of my locations was in a kiosk in the mall. And what I would do is I would say, hey, sir, sir. And they'd have and to then, come closer. People, people were like, what? I heard yeah. you in the beginning. And then come closer. And then I said, what phone do you have? And then they'll be like, oh, I have an iPhone. I'd be like, iPhone? I always would dumbfound it like I wasn't in the industry. iPhone? Which one? And then they'll be like, iPhone, whatever. At the time, it was iPhone 6. And I'd be like, which one? Yeah. And then they'll be like, iPhone 6. And I'll be like, oh, let me see it. And they'll be like, let me see. And I grab it. And I'll be like, oh, come here. I got something to show you. And you just turn around with confidence and walk to your kiosk. You have, they have your, Man, you have your, phone, your phone in their hand. Next thing you know, you put it behind the register in your pocket. You're presenting them the new phone. 
And then if they find value, they buy. If they don't, they take, they ask for their phone back and they walk away. Did you ever yeah. get in the flight? <laughs> in a fight? Because of it. Did everybody like take it okay or is it? <laughs> no, there was finesse to it. There was a little bit of finesse to it. It's You're doing it with a smile. Like the whole time you're smiling. Like there's, you're, you could have a terrible day in the cell phone world. You come back and you're smiling. Like, it, yeah. and, and I train my team on that. You just got to keep smiling. And you know that you're taking away their phone, but you smile a lot. People are just so confused. They're like, okay, I, I'm, I'm in. How, how old are you, man? I'm 28. 28, man. Crazy success for a 20-year-old. I love it. I wanted to say something earlier, not a question, not anything like that. You said you're an introvert. One thing that I noticed, I think some people have a misconception about what introvert and extrovert are. You could be the biggest people person in the world and still be an introvert. It just means you need that alone time to recharge. You you have a little bit more apprehension and things like that, but you could still love to be around people. I think that's an important aspect of what drives us. Because like for me, I've always been somebody that can sit around and play video games or watch a movie and do nothing, or I can go party for three days straight and just be around people all the time. Right. So I think that's super important to like for people that are trying to get into the space or something like that, don't be afraid of people. Just find your time to recharge. I agree. I 100% agree. Like for me, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. And this morning, oh. for example, I was awake before my alarm rang. And I, I laid down, I looked at my wife and I gave her a little kiss and I'm like, okay, I'm up and at him. And I'm like, what time is it right now? So I'm, I'm already fully awake and I'm like, what time is it? Okay, it's 4.19. So I woke up 11 minutes before my alarm rang. And then I take that time and for the next couple of hours between four and eight o'clock, I'm just in my own zone. I work out, breath work, meditation, just really getting myself grounded. So that way when I come into the office here, I'm able to do the podcast, do the meetings, so on and so forth. And at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, I need to decompress from all the energy that I gave out. So I totally agree with you, Andrew. What is your, tell me a little bit, you look very healthy, dude. Like I noticed that right away, like you're awake, you're attentive. Like you, like for me, I wake up groggy a lot because I'm just, I don't care about a lot of that. So I take care of my body, but not as much as I should. I just, just you know, disregard it or neglect it or whatever you want to call it. What is some of your, and this isn't like anything that we prepared, but I'm curious, what are some of the, besides working out, breath work and meditation, what are some of the things you do? Like you go to bed early, do you drink a lot of water? Do you like, what are those habits for you that keep you healthy and attentive? So it's interesting that you say, Andrew, like that I'm healthy because I do believe internally I'm healthy, but I am on the overweight side. And so Mm -hmm. I got some pounds that that I get to release, but I appreciate that comment. And one of the things that I do, for example, like when I wake up in the morning, like this morning was I was on the physical aspect. I think there's one element, but there's also the spiritual aspect. So the physical is like this morning I'm in the sauna. Then I do cold water, cold water shower at the gym. And then, of course, I'm lifting. But also my wife is tremendously helpful because we don't eat like things with seed oil. We don't thumbs up. So we don't eat things with seed oil. We don't. What else? everything's organic what everything's organic home cooked things of that nature so like when she comes into the office she has the the bags of food that's already she already prepared and so i think yeah. that's one element of it that that makes because I, I noticed when i ate food from the street i wasn't feeling that good like i was yeah. forcing myself to move forward and then but my my wife was able to cook everything in our home we know exactly what went in it we paid the highest tier like that's, there's no budget when yep. it comes to food. And that's super important. But the next thing is going to be like, so yeah, sauna, cold water, things of that nature work out every day. But then the next thing is going to be the spiritual aspect. I think for me, my journey with God is I have, I'm at 
tremendous peace in ter- inside because God is ordaining my steps. And when I look at that in my life, I don't have to really be so nervous or anxious about what the future is going to look like because I know, hey, this is part of the journey that God has presented for me. And I think yep. I used to get stressed out because I would not believe that. But then I think that that belief, because if you looked at me, if you looked at me seven months ago, Andrew, you would not say I'm healthy, man. I was like, I was 50 mm. pounds bigger. I was, my, my eyes were all fucked up and stressed out as can be. And but in the last that's the months, thing, Andy, is, yeah. And you mentioned your weight, dude. Like, I don't look at that. When I think healthy, what I was, you look like a healthy dude. Like you look, like I said, like I wake up groggy, dude. I wake up so <laughs> groggy. Like last night, I was just sipping a, a glass of whiskey, playing this online board game with a buddy of mine back from Chicago. And so I just wake up feeling not refreshed. And I used to. So I get what mm. you're saying. I, I understand. And I think it's funny that you say, I'm not a very religious person. person. I grew up religious, right? And then I moved out of it. But I do think there is an element, regardless if it's like organized religion or just like some sort of spirituality, like having the confidence and belief that what you're doing is the right thing. I think we get burnt out and we get anxious and we get depressed and we get all these things because we don't really understand what the hell is coming next, even if it's in not death, but like in life, like what is the next step? So that's a really cool way to look at it is, hey, you're comfortable with whatever next step like comes. I was with my sales, my one of my sales and marketing managers last week. She we're in the Philippines, so this is the first time I've ever gone. And this one person, she's been with me for four years on my team, and I'm like in person with her. I'm like, this is not Zoom, this in person. I noticed that she's just like very calm. No matter what plans change, our team dinner change, whatever, she's like calm throughout the whole thing. And as I connected more with her, I, I discovered like how much her faith walk with faith. I'm not a religious guy either. But her walk with having belief that God is going to take care of everything. For me, when mm-hmm. I see her, I'm like, man, you just look very calm, like no matter what happens. And she just looks right. so calm. And, and I think that also helps in, in health and overall mindfulness. Yeah, I agree. It's, cer- it's certainly inspiring. And whether it's somebody has been going through some real shit in their life, so then they take it take it on the chin a lot easier than other people or they just they can just be zen all the time for me i just gotta hit my workout and it's i gotta say this lately it's been crap but i got a workout into this this morning and like the whole day i'm riding this wave it's it's amazing you just lift some weights and just feel like million bucks dude i used to so i used to work out in the morning way back and i used to be a martial arts so i'd go really early and we talked about that bit okay And so now I, I started working out at night again and my girlfriend's like, dude, you really got to start working out in the morning and starting your day. And I started doing that and I feel fucking awesome. Right. Like I feel like you feel strong and like in control because you, and I, I can't remember who said this. Somebody said this. I don't remember who it was like a podcast, but starting your day with a workout, you've already overcome a challenge. You've done something to give yourself the confidence. Hey, I've done something difficult today. The next things I'm doing are not going to be as difficult. Right. You have this feeling mm-hmm. of accomplishment. So that, that's fantastic. Speaking cool, of man. overcoming yeah. difficult, I think the big one is having mentors, right? Like for you, Andy, right? Like you had mentors like you know, Les Browns and your connections with personalities, Grant Cardone, Tony Robbins. Question for you How has these relationships influenced your business strategies and personal growth? I'm interested. Like my relationship with money has completely changed, where the understanding of the value of money and how it can help other people. Like just to see last week how. I think the mindset of money for some is I just need enough to just to get by. I just need enough to get by. And then 
a lot of the mentors and people that I've spent time with, they're very impactful in the world. And many times, money's, the more money, uh, extra $100,000, an extra $200,000, an extra $2 million is not going to change their life. But the reason they want it is because they recognize that it gives them additional resources to help more people. I remember, I remember a scenario. I was, with, I was driving last we were, I was in, I think, San Diego. And I was driving him to a, a speaking engagement. And we had, I had just finished promoting 10X GrowthCon in 2017, so the first one. And we were done with that event in Miami. We flew to uh, California and I was going, I was driving specifically in this first scenario, Les Brown in the car, and we were going to an event in San Diego from LA. And he was telling me about his son and the, the, the bill that, that it costs for his son to have the medication or, or the, the surgery or whatever it was that, the, the medical expense in general. And the bill was somewhere near $80,000. And in my Damn. understanding at the time, insurance wasn't going to cover it. And Les Brown being who he is, he's, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of the bill. And being so young, I'm 28 now. So that was, what is that? Six years ago, six, seven years ago. And I'm in the car like, oh, shoot, that's what the reality of being, being an adult is. That's what the reality of finances is. If you're trying to make 100 grand a year, it costs you $8,000 to live every single month. You don't have much to actually help people. You don't actually have much. Like you can barely help yeah. yourself. You're just bobbing and weaving and, and trying to get, grasp for air at that point financially. You can't really help people. So like yeah. my vision now, for example, is I, our first charity that we did, we fed 87 families. And I was like, this is not enough. So now we had 300 families and all the representatives, all the families come and I, I'm there in person. I'm handing out the food and it's enough food for the next few weeks. But I said, I said to my team, I said, guys, this is not going to last. Yeah, they have enough food for the next couple of weeks. I said, I have two visions in, in, in this perspective. Number one, I want to feed 10,000 people. We did 250, but I want to do 10,000 people. But number two, I want to give them the resources. So in part of our charity, I want to raise enough money where we're going to get them laptops and put programs together for them, essentially an online course, completely for free, where they can learn how to become a virtual assistant. A lot of my staff is outside of the United States. We have systems and processes to get people up to a certain level in operating in my business, giving them those resources. That mindset that. came directly a bit from hanging around some players, man. You hang around with, 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 with a certain group of people who are just getting by, you're going to look at your bank, your wallet and your bank account, you're just going to get by. But you get around with someone like Grant who, hey, I just raised a million dollars for X charity because I have influence, I have money, and I have relationships, and I have the ability to. And you're like, what? You just Some people will spend the next 50 years just trying to make a million dollars just to take care of their rent and their mortgage or whatever. And you just raised a million dollars just to give back. And that's when my mindset started growing. So getting around the right type of people, man, it's going to start inspiring you. And then it's definitely inspired me. Bro, you just hit it well, on the nail. You just hit it on the nail. Yeah. Guys, if you're listening, what Andy's talking about here is the saying, you may have heard it before, you are the average of the five people you hang out the most with, or five or four, whatever. But the people, the close <laughs> circle of people that you're hanging out with, hanging around with most of the time, you are going to be the average of them. So, you know, yeah. there you have it. I hang around, yes, you know, sir. Les Brown, Grant Cardone, Tony Robbins. I bet you that you're going to look at the world and think about finances whole another way, right? Hey, hey, Andy. So we do have some questions we wanted to ask you. And so we'll sneak them in here like segue style. 
But dude, I just want to ask you, like, how did you end up meeting Grant and Tony and like actually become them becoming your mentor? At what level are they your mentor? Are they like very personal with you? Is it uh, a little bit more space in between that? Because there can be mentors in a lot of different levels, but like, how did you meet them? And like, where is that relationship? And how is that? How did it help you really grow as a person? So, I mean, like you're naming some names that are more so popular, but there's also a great deal of mentors that aren't like, quote unquote, the most famous, but they've supported me, they supported me in my life and in general. So I'll share with you some different stories and some different examples. So one mentor, for example, that is near and dear to my heart is Sam Bakhtiar. So he's the founder of the, the Camp Fitness Transformation Center company. Was valued at $52 million at the time that, but he, he passed away. He passed away at oh, 2000. And, and so for a couple of years, I wake up today and I go to the gym at four in the morning, at, at 4.30 in the morning. He's the one who got me onto that. I was waking mm. up at 10 o'clock like everyone else. Sorry, I, I was waking up at yeah. 10 o'clock and nine o'clock was early or, or seven o'clock was really early. And he yeah. was like, hey, meet me at the, if you want to hang, meet me at the gym and I'll meet you at, at the gym at four o'clock. And I was like, yeah, that's crazy time. That's crazy. That's crazy hours. But I started hanging out with him and he was giving, sharing with me different principles, different life principles. My wife actually used to work in inside of his organization. She was, he had over a hundred gyms before his passing. The company still is open today and he has partners that mm. are living on the legacy, but he passed away. And, but my wife was an employee of his and, and he spoke at one of my conferences and one of my seminars, in-person seminars, and he invited some of his staff to the event. And my wife happened to be a ticket holder and she came in and like me and her connected and so forth. So this guy for spoken people and his people's people and it, it ran up the ranks and it was forever to try to schedule it. But once I got the podcast with him, that's when the relationship started and we resonated and we were like, dude, let's work out together. So that's one example of a mentor. Les Brown, the way that I got him to be a mentor is one of the quotes that's common throughout all of these journey is that the opportunity is in the show up. It's by showing up to these opportunities, showing up physically yeah. in a space but number two, showing up powerfully. So Les Brown, when I moved, and I semi-retired in 2016. So I took that money from the cell phone business, moved to LA. And I just didn't have to work for 18 months. In that journey, I wanted to become a motivational speaker. So I'm Googling motivational speaking, YouTube searching, and so on and so forth. Next thing you know, I see an ad that's retargeting me, which is Les Brown ad, become a motivational speaker. Now, I was already listening to his content. I loved his content. I said, I want to work with him. I put, filled in the ad, salesperson calls me sells me the course for five grand, his online course. And then I said, I want to meet you guys in person. Can I fly out to Miami to meet you? He said, come down today. I said, today, dude, I said, give me a week or something. But I, I had yeah. availability. So what I did was I went on myfriendspirit.com and booked a flight that day from LA. And from LA to Miami, I got to Miami. And as soon as I touched base, I go to the office. I'm meeting the salespeople, meeting the whole entire staff of this motivational speaking program. And as I'm about to leave, Les Brown comes into the office one out of two times out of the year that he usually comes. So he comes in twice a year. He doesn't live in Miami at the time. So he one out of the two times, he just so happened to be in Miami doing a speaking engagement. And before he goes to that speaking engagement, he's let me stop at the office, see how operations are. As I'm walking out, he walks in, boom, we touch. I see him, touches my face and he says, young man, you look like me when I was younger. And I'm like, dude, you sound like YouTube. And he starts, <laughs> we start chuckling a little bit. And then from there, I said, you know what? I'm going to stay here. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to leave the office. Anymore. I'm going to stay. I was ear hustling for a bit. 
And I overheard him and the president at the time talk about going on a national tour. And I said, I want to be on that national tour. And the, the, the president of the company, now, mind you, at the time, I'm like 21 years old, right? So even today, I look at a 21-year-old and I'm just like, damn, you're young. So I go to the, the president. I said, let me speak on the tour. I want to be a motivational speaker. I got financial success. Like, I could talk about money. There's more to it than just that. And I said, all right, what do, what do I need to do? He said, can you sell? I said, of course I could sell. I taught people how to sell. I could sell. And they said, all right, we'll drop you into the city. And then now, mind you, it wasn't that just so easy, but he said, we'll drop you into the city. You become a salesperson. Why don't you start cold calling people? And I'm like, I used to have a sales staff with 14 employees and living a certain like certain lifestyle. Next, I'm now cold calling people. It was a shot to my ego. But I said, if this is what it takes, I'm all in. And that's how I got into that circle of Grant, Les Brown, because Les Brown would also right. speak at Grant's event and so on and so forth. So there was those opportunities. The next thing you know, I'm on tour with Les and my job was to fill in the seminars before he, he showed up. And then by, cool, by being around the circle of different speakers of this event, I, I'm already in the, the community. I would just connect, shake hands. I'm like, can I get your number? Can I stay in contact with you? And they're a speaker. I'm behind backstage. And yeah, the rest is history from all these relationships. That's awesome. At tw- at 28, that's just, the sky's the limit for you, man. It's fucking so cool. He's awesome. Setting. Listen, yeah, go ahead. No, I know. We got a couple of questions. I know that you, Vit, wanted to get to them. So I, I was going to uh, jump in say, here. I was going to say just, yeah, Andy, you're certainly not shy away from doing the hard work and being ballsy because that's very inspiring. Hey, so public speaking is like a soup and this is very big fear of most people, right? Like public speaking, they think it's harder than it is. Most people don't feel the impact of public speaking or the fear of it until they're on the stage, right? Because then they see 10,000 people or 1,000 people, whatever it is. What are the essential elements that make a public speaker impactful and engaging? So like, how do you overcome that fear? And then when you overcome that fear and you're trying to be as impactful as possible, what do you believe that makes that in a public speaker? Well, number one is your internal belief. People are going to sense it. They're going to feel it. And if you are nervous, it's actually a skill set to not show the nervousness on stage. It's a skill set to, to be able to communicate a different emotion than what you're actually feeling inside. And yeah. I think over, over time, you get to, you'll get better. Like, I got better over time. And one of the things that I do say is fear is a direction. It's a model. Fiat. Fear is a direction. So every time that I got on stage, whether I would get on a stage, I remember I, there was a time that I was going to speak to a college group, a group of college students. And I was like in the bathroom, I was on the toilet and I didn't have to go. I was just so scared. I was hiding, right? Yeah. I was just in so much fear. But what I realized is that those experiences is what created the muscle, like the growth in me where I can go in front of a thousand people. And I'm like, all right, guys, power clap on three. And well, I command the stage, right? Vic, you saw me speak one of those days, right? I'm like, yep. I command the stage because when I speak, I own it. I'm able to pause. And that confidence is, is going to attract the audience. And from doing it so many times, mind you, it's not just the stage for me in my experience. I also had to go speak. Now, this was before social media was as big as it is today. And you got to have a camera crew and you got to document everything. Back then in 2016, I, would, I, wasn't, I was thinking about I got to go speak in front of 30 people to go get sales. This yeah. is livelihood right now. This is work. I'm not here to. It's not for social media content. It's like I'm here to work. Yeah. So I've done if not thousands, definitely hundreds of presentations where I'm in front of two people today. I'm in front of two people 
or I'm in front of 200 people. And in the same day, I might do three or four presentations and mm -hmm. different groups, real estate company, car dealership and life insurance company. And I'm all giving them little tips and strategies. And then I'm take, and then I'm asking them, Hey, do you want to come to the event? That was my journey. So that muscle is going to be created. So number one is understanding that fear is a direction. So if you can navigate through that, you're going to win. Number two is going to be your stage presence. When you're able to communicate fluidly, softly, in a way that allows, you, allows the listener to understand what you're saying. And I'll give, you, I'll give you a scenario. I was teaching, I'm working with a marketing agency. I'm acquiring a marketing agency right now because I'm all SaaS in my company. But marketing agency is still valuable. So I'm acquiring a marketing agency. And I was talking to the, the owner operator yesterday of that agency. And I was teaching her like how to ask for the sale in the, in the, at the end of the call, which is, are you going to be using a Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover? And what they, what they did in the beginning was they were like, she wants to get through it. So she's Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover. And what I shared with her is when you ask that specific question, they don't have enough time to think about what you're saying. They don't know that you're asking for the money because at the end, if you go very fast, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover, the listener is going to pause and they're going to play back the syllables and the vowels of what you just said to understand what you just said. But if you say it slowly, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover, you're going to get a different result because by the time that you said Visa, they know that you're, you're talking about the money. And then by the time you're finished, they're able to make a decision and pull out the credit card. Something right. that small in a communication on stage, if you're able to communicate slowly, when you're, whenever I've seen new novice speakers, I have an online course for speakers and I've trained, I don't know, 600 people. When people start, they just want to get through it, like to say the words. Yeah. But they, yep. they never speak slow enough to, for people to truly understand. I have a webinar that is currently performing very well. I host webinars to sell my software, Progretta. And I noticed when I did that presentation, I was speaking slow. And, though, and I just said, in the, middle of the, in the middle of the presentation, I just said, you know what? I'm going to continue at this pace. So I started speaking this way. And in my heart, I was like, dude, this is fucking slow as hell. I want to go faster. But at the end, that was the highest converting webinar that I've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and people could speed it up nowadays with like YouTube and all that shit. X, they really yeah, wanted yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's funny that you said that because people, there's like a, so two things. There's a. A technique in sales where it's whoever speaks first loses in certain questions. So you have to have that cliffhanger where you make, you make them, you force them to say something, right? You like get them to a point where they have to make a mental decision of speaking instead of trying to overload them. And people just run right through things. They don't pause ever. Even if it's not super slow, they just don't pause, right? So it's like, give yourself a chance to or give them a chance to even say something in between what you're saying kind of like with demos or whatever right if you're doing software demos you know it's kind of the same thing it's like don't just throw it all at them and see like what they remember allow them the opportunity to remember things and talk to you and right communicate back for sure um, Andrew, you hit it on the nail I'm going, to, I'm going to take it over here and segue to the next question for you andy because i know you've got your own show the progression show and you as the host of this show what common traits have you noticed among successful individuals who've gone from racks to success? One of, the, one of the most common is their relationship with fear. I think that's so common is that you're just not scared. Like 
you feel the fear, but they take the initiative anyway, whatever that challenge is. I feel com- tremendously scared. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it anyway. Whether, and that could be as simple as a cold call, right? I, I feel scared to call leads and call them cold. Well, overcome the fear and move and still do it, right? That's number one as far as like internal, because I think anything else, fear is the big domino that's going to trump that. There's no strategy, there's no process that you can incorporate without feeling a little sense of fear if, if it's brand new. So if you can overcome that, then you can, whatever strategy is given to you, whatever process is given to you, whatever idea is given to you, you're going you're gonna to handle it, right? If it's a new franchise, new idea, new, you're, you're the first person to pioneer something new. Fear is the thing that's going to stop you. And if you can handle that, you're, you're pretty good. The number two thing that I see in most of the successful people that I've interviewed on the progression show or even connected with is collaboration. I think someone who's like an, like a five-figure entrepreneur, like just making anything less than 100 grand a year, what's common is that they're like, I'm going to do everything by myself. Like Andrew with Chat HQ, instead of you building high level as well and, and trying to create that infrastructure, you collaborated with high level and you built your business on top of it with Chat HQ. And same thing with UBIT. So and it's likewise with myself, right? So many people who are like in the five-figure, they're like, I want to do everything by myself. Once you start getting into the nine-digit range or even the eight-digit range, of millions upon millions of dollars, what I found that's common is they're willing to work with other people and latch on and just add value to what's already working. And right. I, I, for example, I have a friend, a mentor of mine who was on the show, the progression show. His business is, he's making 47, at the time he was making $47 million a year. And what he did, Damn. he just resold Brinks security. So he has 400 sales guys just selling Brinks security. He didn't have to create the whole security business. He just went to Brinks and said, hey, I'll help you sell it. And I'll, so he started in the field, going door to door. Over, he had to overcome his fear and he'd be the first salesperson number one whenever he started like 20 years ago, whenever he started. And then from that journey, he recruited people and said, help, I'll give you a commission. And then he started making the spread on the, what Brinks paid him and then the commission that he paid other people. Now he has over 400 salespeople in, throughout the country selling for him makes it over $47 million. Now, could he have started the security business? And then he got so ingrained into the community that he started servicing Brinks customers with a monitoring business where he will, his company will do the security monitoring and call 911 if there's ever an issue. And his staff is the one who mans the the monitoring. So instead of him starting from scratch and saying, I got to compete against Brinks, you just collaborate and figure out a way to add additional value and that's how you do it. So those two things, I'm on overcoming fear. And then from a tactical perspective is figure out who you can collaborate that you can add value to, to be able to create the profit that you're looking to create. That's a, it's a perfect instance of kind of like white labeling and affiliate marketing in a way, right? Like high level built high level off affiliate marketing. That's how they grew, right? Rob Bailey, all these guys that were in there, Joe Rare, all the guys that like helped them grow. And then you have a, then you have white labeling, which is like Chad HQ's white labelable, high levels, white labelable. So you can build your success around something else that somebody built, right? So you don't have to go build Chad HQ. You don't have to go build high level. You just go sell it. And it's kind of like, uh, a lot of people say, it's like, what do I say when people find out it's high level? And you just say, Hey, I built on top of high level. It's an operating system. It's kind of like building on Microsoft in the nineties, right? Like, I built on top of it. You buy it. If you don't want to buy it from me, go buy it yourself. You're not going to get what I give you. You're going to get the same type of experience or software. 
you're going to get a base function or a base model, right? So yeah, that's, I love that, man. The whole brings security thing. That's people, so many people have built monolith businesses off of franchising and like affiliates and white labeling and all that stuff, which is awesome. I mean, for me, one big takeaway I'm getting from what you were saying there, Andy, the big name of the game is leverage. And whilst it's okay to start off one solo and selling door to door or doing cold calling, whatever, at some point you need to look at how you build that leverage, right? In the example of the guy with the Brink security, he built his team of sales reps, right? So now that's his leverage. But the big leverage that's been working really well for you, and that's another reason why I wanted to get you on the podcast, also being mindful of your time because eight minutes left. I'm going to be, I'm going to take, what is, what is it that you said? To show up. And I'm going to take the opportunity here that uh, we are all showing up here. If you wouldn't mind to, for our listeners, you know, all the other high levelers to fill in this next segment, which we call move the needle. And basically what I want to ask you is this, you've become an expert in selling high level in one to many format, right? High level software via webinars. Could you walk us through your strategy in a bit more detail and what makes your approach so effective? Strap in, entrepreneurs and growth gurus, for our Move the Needle segment, where we zoom in on one game-changing strategy, tactic, or tool designed to turbocharge your business trajectory, high-level style. They say money can't buy happiness. Look at the fucking smile on my face. So I'll share with you the GoSaskLaunch.com strategy, which is something that I've been doing for years. And I had to, I, I, this process comes through pain and challenges of trying to make it work. So here's the play. And I'll share with you some of the experiences. So number one, I host a webinar once a month, every single month. And it's typically every four weeks. Now, before the webinar, when someone registered for the webinar, I get, when someone registers, in the sequence, we ask them to register other people. Call it, we call it a buddy pass. We just say, hey, you registered. Will you invite other people to come to the event? And then the other people who got registered, they get the same sequence and they invite other people to come to the event. So that's number yeah. one. That's what happens in the beginning. Then I do the webinar. Then I sell on the webinar. When I, at the, during the webinar, I don't sell the SaaS. I sell what you can do in your business. And the, to deploy that system, is you just you got to use a SaaS. You got to use a software. And then after the webinar, we do what we call a post-webinar interview, which is a sales call that doubles as social media content. So... That's the sequence right there in, in the brief overview. There's a lot of micro things that happen to make it very successful, but yeah. that, that's how I got 6,500 people last year to come to my webinar without having to spend money on ads. What, what was your close rate on that, on those 6,500, man, if you don't mind? Uh, we got 300 people. That's 300 awesome. Customers. Love so it. So one really nuanced little thing that you mentioned is I'm curious about is that post webinar interview, does it happen whilst people are still on the webinar or you get them to share what impact? the webinar ahead on them. So like they like right there and you making these little clips or? No, in the beginning. So I, I've been doing this process for four years. This, I sat, so before Progretta, I was promoting a company called Keep and their close rate was even higher because they had, yeah, their company yeah. Was, was called Keep. And what I did was I went to the, I went to them in 2018 and I said, hey, I know how to fill up web, I know how to fill up seminars. Would you want to come speak at my seminars and let's do a financial win opportunity? And they said, sure. So I filled up the seminars and they brought in speakers to come and speak and sell Keep. Or I think back then it was Infusionsoft. Infusionsoft, and yep. Infusionsoft. And I remember when they 
turned to keep. We had a pending contract, and then they were like, I was like, why is it taking so long? And then that's when I found out they were changing their name. But back then, it was when it was Infusionsoft, I would fill up the seminars for them to come and speak. And then I, they would have an event. They would have a speaker come and speak at the, my seminar, and then it would sell the software, and I would get an affiliate commission. And it was very lucrative, man. I, I was able to live a, a great lifestyle, six-figure lifestyle, just from the commission off keep. Now, I was there number two out of their, I don't know how big their affiliate influencer, I was number two out of their whole entire ecosystem. And so they would Damn. take care of me very well. But I didn't know about the back end. That's the point that I'm making. I didn't know about yeah. the back end, right? You're talking about reoccurring. You're talking about rebuilding. And you're talking about subscription revenue. You're talking about getting a customer one day. And then you're still getting paid from them for four years and how the small money is so valuable. I didn't understand that back then. I was like, you're going to pay me this much just to get you one person? Count yeah. me in, right? I'll get you. How many people do you need? 600, 500? All right, let's go. I'm a, well, I know what game I'm playing. And that's it's and, crazy when you run ads as a SaaS company. Like You're like, oh, I'm paying, I don't know, let's say $150 per close. If your customer lifetime value and your CAC to payback period or like the numbers are good, that $150 pays for itself in the next month. Like it's literally doubled every single month. It just exponentially grows, right? Which is true, Andrew. And when you say that today, I understand what you're saying. I yeah, understand yeah. what you mean by the CAC to payback period when you say, when we're talking about the customer acquisition cost versus their lifetime value. I understand that today. However, as a 23-year-old guy, I would not understand that. Yeah. Not only that, most small business owners don't understand that. And most SaaS agencies have no clue what you're talking about. Yeah. And a lot of marketing agencies don't either. Like I was a solo, solopreneur marketing agency and I was handling an account. Like I got this customer, this big customer, and he was a software company, two-sided marketplace in the cannabis space. And he used the term CAC to payback. He's like, what's the CAC to payback on, on our ads and all this stuff? And I'm like, what the fuck you're talking about right now, dude? I was like 25, 26. And yeah. that literally hit me. I was like, I don't know any of the terminology for a software company. And this is obviously you know, right around when I was getting into high level. So it wasn't the space that it was today. Hey, so really quick though, Andy, we're getting, I want to fit one more segment in here because I think it's really important and that you're, it's so like key, keyed in on what you do and how you run like your funnels and webinars and stuff. We do a geek out segment. And generally we just talk about like new things in high level and geek out and talk about it for a little while. So obviously we got to run here soon, so we'll make it pretty quick, but I noticed on your SaaS launch, gosaslaunch.com, you use one of high levels videos. I believe it's a high level video, right? Like a hosted high level video. On gosaslaunch.com? No, it would be is our, that Wistia, our video. Yeah, but is it Wistia? Is it native to high level? Like you uploaded it to it's high hosted. levels media? It's hosted yeah. in the media okay. library. Perfect. So that's what I want to tune in on or like hone in on here in the geek out segment. How much better is it for you? Cause I already know we could talk about all kinds of stuff like workflow actions and statistics and stuff, but for you, when you're selling these things, how much more impactful is it that you have that with all the bells and whistles that come along with it, right? Like forms to continue the video, like data tracking, triggers, analytics, workflow actions, things like that with the hosted videos. Uh, as yeah. far as the tech, man, I think when we when Hosted came out and was available with all the additional bells and whistles, for example, in one of our funnels that, that I have, it's, we have a high ticket product that we send a lot of traffic to, and most people can't purchase that. However, and the video sales letter itself is an hour long. 
So what I did was the people that we focus on are the people who watch at least 50% of it. And we're seeing 75 out of 100 people purchase if they watch over half, if they watch 30 minutes of the sales video. Because in the beginning, yep. I already say what the price is and I already say what the, pri- what the value is. So if they watch over 30 minutes of after knowing the price and so forth, it, that's a high likelihood. So if I send 600 people there, I want to call the 70, uh, you know, I want to call a small group of people that ultimately watch over 50% and put my attention there because they already know what the offer is. Now it's overcoming objections and moving the deal forward. So that small right. amount of just to be able to identify the video tracking segment portion is going to save you time on sales staff, payroll. Like it, it trickles down yep. in so much other areas on retargeting, so on and so forth. So it allows you to create different campaigns that are specific for the person. Because someone opts in on your landing page doesn't mean that they watch the video sales letter. And if the video sales letter is an hour long or 90, I have video sales letter that are like a $36,000 a year contract that the video sales letter is a 90 minute presentation. If they watch 75% of that presentation and I call them, they know what I'm talking about. They know what they watched it. Nine out of 10 times they watched that presentation. But if I call the same with the same script and I call someone who only watched who didn't watch anything. Maybe they didn't even click play. They just opted in and said, oh, price is too much. I'm not even going to watch the video and then move off, get off your call or get off your page. Why spend time to call them and text them and follow up with them if they don't even know what your offer is? So you got to understand the stages. So that's how we use it. I love that. I've got a follow-up question specifically about the new pop-ups on the videos, how you can have a little pop-up. So it maybe kicks in five minutes into a video. They could have given details in order to continue. Have you played around with those much? I haven't played with it just yet as much. It's an interesting concept. I, I've seen other people use it, and I've seen there's other people in the space who have different technology for that. I haven't used it. I, my process has been opt-in, get them to opt-in, and then get them to watch the video. One of the things that we talk about is not everyone's there for one reason. And so like these single-purpose funnels, they don't get everyone that you possibly could end up converting because some people don't want to watch a 90 minute video, even though that's your highest potential conversion there. So like in my mind, when you're saying that, I'm like, my gears are already turning, thinking like, how do I talk to somebody like you who's building these sales letter funnels to then get them to use ChatHQ to drive conversions in other ways, whether it's a calendar or something like that, right? Like low, lower conversion rate actions, but things that still bring people into the fold in a way. So like mm-hmm. newsletters and things like that, getting people to just give you their information. But yeah, you should definitely try those video interrupts at times. See, mess around with them and see if you can use them because they're that's powerful stuff. Being able to jump in the middle and say, hey, hold on. If you want to watch, this is the best part. And if you want to watch it, you got to give us your info been, or something. Yeah, for right? sure. Do something, yeah. yeah. Hey, I've got this idea that I've been playing in my head. I, list, I heard it from somebody here in Australia, one of the like really successful coaches. He was talking about a strategy, specifically the webinars, and I wanted to do your take on it, Andy. So he, he, it's called webinars that doesn't matter. And it's obvious, the big one is about the audience. So he goes after people that are like business owners making above 20K a month, things like that, busy people, where he has a funnel. You register for the webinar on a thank you page. It says... I know you're registered. This webinar is coming up in a few days. You're probably busy. Why don't you take a fast lane, book a call now? So it's like the idea is that if you do a pie chart and out of all the registrants, maybe 30, 30% people turn up to the webinar, the rest don't. It's almost like you actually want to target the ones who don't actually turn up to the webinar because they actually qualify themselves as busy people. 
Yeah, yeah. They are sure. the ones that need high level, right? To scale and so it, I think it depends on the lifestyle and the use case of the business. Because, like for example, the reason why I wouldn't do that is, and I, but I do see the value of that. Don't get it twisted. Like that strategy, I do see the value of that without a question or shadow of a doubt. The reason I, I wouldn't do that is one of the things is maintaining energy, and on my sales staff calendar we can just flood them with sales appointments with people who don't show who aren't qualified and people who don't show up aren't qualified they don't have the money they don't have the necessary need for the product that we're delivering so i know i wouldn't want 75 appointments on my calendar this week or 60 appointments on my calendar this week it wasn't with people who are potentially qualified there's a lot of people that i can get on a call with and there's a lot of people my sales team can get on a call with but when i think about the lifestyle that i want to live like last week, I spent a whole week in the Philippines. That's the type of lifestyle I want to live and create amazing results. So when I do come back, like this week I came back, the people that are on my calendar are very potent, meaning that they already saw my presentation. They already know exactly what I'm offering. They know the price. There might be something that's missing. So let me show you for understanding. Like we have a $6,000 offer. The average time that it takes a sales rep on my team to close that $6,000 offer for our consulting is 19 minutes. I've seen it as, as fast as 11 minutes for six grand. Yeah, because the they already why, know what you're talking about. They went through and they watched the free content. Then they watched, which what already got them hooked. Then they watched the, the video sales letter. We know that they were over the 50% mark right. on the video sales letter. Then those people were offered the opportunity to get on a call. So when my salesperson gets on the call and says, have you already watched this specific video? Yes, I learned, I watched how... Andy taught how to build a multi-six-figure business through social media marketing using Progretta. I saw that video. Okay, great. Did you see the presentation on the price and, and, and the demonstration of the software? Yes, I saw the demonstration and the price of the software. Yes, I saw that video. Okay, how can I best support you? What I really need is someone to do X and X for me. And I don't want to be the one to do it myself. No worries. We actually have a service where we'll do the whole system for you. And our marketing agency will take care of everything. Okay, how much is it? $6,000. Right. You know what? I wasn't expecting to pay 6,000 bucks, but I did see that video. I was, the real reason I wanted to hop on a call is, do you have a payment plan? Yes, we have a payment plan. Here's how much the payment plan is. Okay, sign me up. That's a sales call. Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover. So for me, in my lifestyle, I didn't want to do the one-on-one sales calls where I, hi, my name is Andy. Let me tell you about you know, who I am, right. and let me tell you about my product. Let's do a demo, and let's go back and forth. I said, man, I just want to get on the call with people I already know. So nine out of 10 times, if I'm on a Zoom call with someone, they already know who I am. For my sales staff, if they're on a Zoom call with someone, they already know who I am. Why? Because we essentially forced them to watch a webinar before. The people on the webinar don't know who I am. They, don't, they have no clue. On that webinar is where I'm indoctrinating them with my business, my brand, and my services. So I love that. But for someone who's listening today, I would say if you're in the beginning, do that. If you have leads that are coming in, in the thousands, you're probably going to want to switch the campaign. If they're listening, they're going to want to switch the campaign. But I think the first step would be to do what you're doing right now. If you're like, have a lot, a small amount of less than a hundred people coming into your webinar, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh, that's great advice. Oh, I thought you were going <laughs> to follow that up with a question. <laughs> no, nothing came to my mind. Hey. I was thinking about how to segue, but I'll leave it to you, mate. 
Yeah, you got to get the, that's the muscle we got to start flexing, figure out how to segue. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's we'll going to be like a, it's like a marriage, it's like a relationship, like figuring out. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because I, I had my other podcast, Success Inspired Podcast, and that ran myself. So when I had the interview, it was always me and the guest. And now we've got this new dynamic and we're still adjusting to it. What's funny is the best podcasts, the ones I listen to that are, that end up the best with multiple people, they, when you say like talking over someone, it can be like, rude or not rude and so i think the best ones have like multiple voices at times and then you, for example do you guys watch always sunny in philadelphia you ever seen always sunny no i think no. i've seen the commercial no okay always sunny is like this over the top ridiculous raunchy terrible not racist but so insulting everything about it is so insulting and it's meant to be like these people are really pieces of shit but they're super funny but you'll know who they are. Charlie is a, a movie star now. He started in the show. The guy Rob does other TV shows. Like they're really funny guys. But they do a podcast about the show. And it's just them three, the main three guys in it. And they'll talk over each other, but not in a way where it's like, oh, shut up and listen to me. It's like when I say, oh, that's awesome. When you're talking, I'm like, oh, yeah, something like that where it interjects and you hear it. But you, you're not like stopping someone in their tracks. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it just feels like that's the the type of dynamic that we have to get used to. It's just it's definitely kind of a bit talking, of an art, isn't it? it? Yeah, it's a dance, dude. It's a dance. What, for what's real. also like some of the greatest episodes that I've listened to on different podcasts is gonna be the ones that it's like it, it feels like I'm eavesdropping into a conversation, right? And, and it yeah. just happens iTunes versus the Q and A. Let me ask you a question. You answer. Ask a question. You answer. And yeah. it's very mm -hmm. monotonous versus, oh, sure. It sounds like this is a conversation between Vit and Andrew and Andy that I'm listening to. And I'm like, I literally tapped into their Zoom call or their phone call or something. And yeah. I think for us, at least for me, I've experienced that. Like, oh, that is cool. And it built a different level of a relationship. Well, that's, that's, what pretty we, much like, that's what we were going for. Yeah, exactly. Like when me and Andrew, we met in Dallas, we already covered the story in the previous episode, but basically what we wanted to do with this podcast, hey, do you know like Joe Rogan? And he's like, yeah, I know Joe Rogan. And we're like, dude, like all this podcast, let's do podcasts together. Cool. But let's just do, let's just make it fun stuff like beers on Friday kind of thing. You know, like let's not have it too scripted. Like <laughs> that was going to be one of our segments, dude, was like bring drinks to the podcast. And every week we have to have a different drink. And we're like talking about the drink at Cause like I do know my buddy, I was drinking whiskey with him last night and it, he has this advent calendar. His wife bought him an, a whiskey advent calendar because he's a big like scotch and bourbon connoisseur. And so he tapped in a few days, they're little shots and he was just sipping them, but he had to go a few days ahead. Like us as kids opening up the advent calendar and getting the chocolate out a few days early, but it's cool. It's what are you drinking? Oh yeah, I'm drinking this thing and it's called this and it's got these flavors or tones or whatever. So bro get this right you mentioned oh. whiskey right mm -hmm. i never i don't really talk about it much it's i just did a little investment one of my mate he's been his a life lifelong dream to have whiskey distillery like he's in his past corporate jobs and he's in his 50s he started 10 years ago and the way he grows his business is through investment so you buy a barrel you wait for it to mature so i bought a barrel about three years ago i've got two more years and mm -hmm. up to half of that barrel, so it's a 300-liter bottle, I can get it bottled for my own thing. So what I'm thinking is one of those episodes in two years' time, if this thing goes well and we don't crack it open. Other, yeah, crack it open, bro. <laughs> and I actually, <laughs> what I'm thinking here is, let you know on the inside, is I really like the idea of having like my own family crest. Like my son is three and have own family crest and have rings and then have like nice bottle and have uh, wax and stamp bottles and then have them in my own like a little 
archive at home, but also have another range of these bottles. But instead of my family crest, put my business logo. And then to those customers that pay the most money to those top 10, top 20 customers once a year, end of the year, send them a personal message written, you know, with ink and like a bottle yeah. of whiskey. How, mu- how many liters or how many bottles can you make? So it's 30 liters. I pay 10 and a half grand and the return on it is 12 and a half percent. If I want to just get all the money back and not drink anything, I'll get something like 15 grand back, 16 grand back. But I want so yeah, up to half, half 100, 100, up to half of the, up to half. So that's 300 liters. So I can get about 150. 300 liters. Okay. Is yeah, it's the, the return is yeah. five and a half percent. No, it's bigger. 12, 12 and a half percent. Yeah, so oh, thir- 300 liters, let's say 300 divided by. That's how most distilleries uh, work. Well, you, you help fork out the upfront expense for them. So then they can like, because of the time it takes, five years it takes to mature. That's the biggest bottleneck for any business. There's no cash flow. Your, your money's tied up. So why not use somebody else's money? And then when it's matured, pay them back. And like when you bottle it and put it mm-hmm. into, and I think he's already got deals with China. Like they already, like a big contracts already agreed to. So he's all sorted. You know? It's an interesting, by the way, yeah. guys, if you're listening, it's also, I mean, we are having a chat here, but you are part of the story here, right? So if you guys are listening and you're interested in this, check it out. And this is not just like a scenario. If you just Google well, whiskey investment, it's pretty, pretty common actually. So if you, are, so it depends on how good the whiskey is. Is it scotch, bourbon? What kind of whiskey is it? So he does mostly scotch. He does the one that you have. Yeah. The one that you have. It's more like a scotch, yeah. But he does uh, use a bourbon, so, like some of the bourbon. So he buys resold, resold the bourbon caskets, like the. Uh, anyway, yeah. So what I'm trying to say is, I did some math, and if you, so if you put turn that 300 liters into handles, is 1.75 a handle, right? Liter per handle. It's about 171 bottles. Like handles are like the big bottles, right? So if you can sell it, if it's good whiskey you could sell for a hundred bucks a pop that's 17 grand 170 bottles right yeah so, so he's gonna sell them for more because he's got spe- like buyers in china and they buy so it's right. significantly more than what you expected your return to be or like what that percentage was right that's just gonna be a return on it for him though not just for me so i'm getting i'm getting the share oh you get a percent yeah, yeah yeah okay it's a, that makes that's sense. he's gonna pay back 12 and a half percent but that's nothing on on what he's gonna make I see. So you invest it, he sells it, you get a return. Okay. I was thinking you have a barrel sitting and you get the whole barrel. Never mind. Okay. I'm yeah, gone. I've got a barrel sitting. That's what it is. I've got a barrel sitting, but yeah. then we've got an agreement that he gets it back and he pays me out. And then I've got an option up gotcha. to half of the barrel to keep for myself. If I wanted to get it bottled, I gotta pay him maybe five bucks for per bottle to get it bottled. Mm-hmm. Like he's gonna bottle it in, in actual proper bottles, like commercial bottles. And then put it into container yeah. and ship it over to China or somewhere where rich people buy them for a lot of money. And yeah. what he's been doing, what's really um, cool America, is... America, people buy a lot of whiskey here. So. Yeah. So what's been interesting, and I'm, we're going to move on from this topic, but it's more of a highlight, right? But what's interesting, what he's doing is while he's waiting for all these... And he's just made a post. One million baller, barrels. Like he's got... Mil, actually, sorry. 10,000 barrels. Big number anyway. Like big fucking warehouse. With his photo, like him on a photo. Went. Anyway, while he's been waiting, the first budget he did earlier, he's been traveling, doing, doing, doing a road trip all over Australia, all over US, and just collecting award after award. So when Dam gets to bottling, he's going to put all the awards on the labels and the That's price cool. of the bottle is going to go up. Yes. Hey, this is a, actually a great segue. 
So we're talking about barreling whiskey and investing in whiskey. We're talking about all kinds of things, SaaS and marketing and things like that. So Andy, you balance a lot of roles. Like you do a lot of different things. How do you do it all? How do you continue to innovate, grow, and be successful in, in multiple areas of your life and, and balance it all? Give me an example. What do you mean by that? You're doing SaaS. You're a marketing expert. You're a speaker and a teacher and a coach. You have a family. So how do you balance? You got a show. You got, so you have so many things. Like, How do you balance it all mentally and physically? And we talked about your morning routine and, and meditation, but I'm curious from a business perspective, how do you manage that? How do you balance one it? Of the, one of the things I say, man, is get it off your plate and delegate. I think everything, almost everything in my that I can delegate, I'm delegating, man. From from I mean, everything is delegated or or automated. So I look at ways that I can auto, automate certain things. And one of the things that I learned from my mentor before he passed away is like something as simple as like the haircut, like his haircut. He doesn't have to think about when am I gonna get a haircut. Let me call. Like most people are like, let me contact my barber whenever I need. I look in the mirror and I'm like, ah, oh, yes, and let me get a haircut at that mm-hmm. point. So every Friday for him, every Friday at six a.m. he had a haircut. And that was his schedule before he passed. Like that, every Friday at 6 a.m., the car cleaners, every so often, they come in and clean the car. It's on autopilot. So every data that I want, if I, I figure out how to automate it and get it off my plate, man, and delegate it, man, from it could be laundry, it could be food, it could be working out with my, my trainer. That's systematized between my assistant and my personal trainer. When I'm in, the, when I'm yep. in Las Vegas, my trainer knows when I'm in Las Vegas because he has a calendar invite to meet me at the gym. I don't have to say, text him and say, I'm not going to be in town tomorrow. Like this weekend, I'm going to California. I'm not going to be in town on Friday because I'm going to be in California. Like it's already automatically knows, on his calendar. Right? And my assistant is the one that manages that. So I have a great relationship with my executive assistant. She doubles as Andy on most things. And I just got to focus on what I do best. And she takes care of the rest. That's cool. It should be a cool. That, that would have been funny if she <laughs> showed up and like, no, this is, I'm Andy. Like, <laughs> I love it. Cool, I love man. It. When'd you get an executive assistant? A lot of people hear this all the time, like stop opening emails, pay somebody, even if it's a lower like wage employee to start, give them some things. But when did you start getting like getting into that executive assistant style? Uh, so path? in 2008, so before, so my leadership skill degraded over time. I'm from the East Coast and I'm from a, an impoverished city. And in, in order to just survive, you can't really smile. I come from an area like you smile. I remember growing up, you smile at the wrong person, man. You're getting jumped, you're getting punched, you're getting, I, yeah. I've seen my friends get robbed, things of that nature, right? And so I wasn't really smiling. I was always on the defense and trying to protect myself. And employees would not last with me with that mindset. Most employees weren't lasting with me because I'm always, I got to protect myself. And then, so there comes a point where I did a personal development training program. And I'm seeing this trend of, man, my assistants were just not lasting. And I think I just, my communication wasn't effective. I wasn't a fun guy to be around and so on and so forth. So I did a program in 2018. After that, I got my first assistant. She was in that program that I was in. She was someone who was just, it was an emotional intelligence program, like how you feel, your traumas, your background, things of that nature. And she happened to be there. And I said, do you want to work? I said to one of the people that were in that program, I said, hey, you're looking for a job. You want to work with me, be my assistant. That was the first time I got an assistant. And that was because I got an assistant, I ended up going, making six figures in my motivational speaking business, right? And then it just kept on going from there. So I started my first assistant. Like, notice the trend. I got my assistant and then I hit six figures. 
Right. That's because I delegated everything I could possibly think of, man. Everything I could possibly think of. My old change, like everything I could possibly think of. Like today, my, my executive assistant is based out of the Philippines. And I was, she booked a podcast for me. It was an in-person podcast. I drove there. As soon as I, I get there, I park my car. I get out my car. I go into the studio. And I'm recording, I'm recording in the studio. We just wrapped up the podcast. I, I drive a Mercedes-Benz. There's an app on the, Merce the Mercedes-Benz app. If there's a collision, it notifies me. So there's a I got notified of a collision. I leave the studio, walk outside, and I see the I see the a guy literally still next to, next to my car, backing up, and and he backed up into the bends, right? T today? And is that you said no, that, that was... wasn't today. That wasn't oh. today. That was what was that like like months ago, like six months okay. ago? Okay. And as in that moment, this is what I did. I took the person's ID, took a screenshot, took a picture. And I took pictures of the damage. I said, hey, my team will be in touch with you. Uh, and, and give me your insurance. And he gave me his insurance number, took a picture of that. So I, in the moment, I just recorded a loom and I just, on my phone, I said, hey, this is what happened. This is the person. This is his ID. This is his insurance. This is the damage. And so on and so forth. Get this fixed. That was it. I sent it to her, created a task, sent it to her. She coordinated adjuster. She took the screenshots of the video. She got me the replacement. They would bring the car to me while I was at work to replace the car. She got it fixed. Everything was taken care of. All I had to do was record that loom, and then I got my car fixed, just like that, right? And the, and the person that's awesome. ended up paying. So that's an example of everything in my life is, is dedicated. I got three assistants on my staff because I'm just like doing so much things, but I have one person who leads yeah. it all. So I would say if you're in a place where you're wanting to grow your business, the first person that I would hire is not even an executive assistant. The first person I would hire is a sales assistant to help you make more money, cold calling, setting up appointments, following up on your appointments, getting contracts, following up for you after the person knows the price. And then once you do that, you get, a, you get an executive assistant to help you with your personal life. My dog, for example, my, my dog's grooming. I don't have to be the one to focus on that. My executive assistant is the one coordinating that and, yeah. and so on and so forth. My laundry, they'll, my executive, there's a web page, website of somebody. She'll go in, put my address, put the credit card information. They'll send it to my house. All I got to do is put the bag outside, right? And then the person will pick it up. So I like that. everything that you could think of, man, is just like systematized yeah. and automated and delegated. Far out. That's cool, man. Hey, I think. Validates me for high levels automation. <laughs> yeah, huh? like, 100%. Automate as much as you can. I just like validation for like high level automation, man. It's like validate or uh, automate as much as you possibly can. Yeah. Stop doing things manually. Yeah. What we did recently is in our home, we found that what's the app called? Task, Tasker. So my, mind you, my executive assistant is in the Philippines. My executive assistant can go to this Tasker, send someone to my house who's going to do this task. I just record a loom of what I want done. I, I want this poster up. I want this desk to be built. I want this to be done. And so it took me a, a three-minute loom to explain it all. And my executive assistant takes care of it all. So in, in a weekend, I'm, although I'm home, I can record a loom to communicate whatever it is that I need to get done even in my own home. And then my assistant will yeah. coordinate that with people who can jump in and complete it. So I think get it off Air your Task plate and automate. Huh? What's that? The Air Tasker, I think it's called. Yeah. I, task. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tasker. <laughs> I thought it was TaskRabbit. Oh, uh, TaskRabbit. TaskRabbit. They most. came in, they built the shelves and the desk and put the books up on, on my walls and all the extra stuff that uh, they, they built awesome. additional shelves with, because uh, we just moved, me and my wife just moved, right? And 
we had all the stuff in the garage and they put it up on nice organized set it all up and man just get it off your plate and delegate i could have done i could have done that but i would have took away six hours from my business and that's more valuable so andy this is the last bit of this podcast we call it impact stories we want to best give other agency owners an opportunity to submit a 60 seconds audio clip of them saying hey here's mike from this and this agency just wanted to share this story about this client what we did for them is this blah 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 and as, a, and as a result of that, their lifestyle or their business or their employees, or this is the benefit. And just a little like short, snappy, 60 seconds impact story, what you've accomplished recently and have basically three of these stories in each episode and have three different agencies to submit through the High Level Experience podcast website. We've got actually submission form. But whilst we are building this, building into it, we've got you here. Would you mind sharing like a quick impact story? So... One example is a client where we took our webinar system and we gave it to her in a snapshot. And when we gave it to her in a snapshot, so she's now hosting one webinar a month, getting a large amount of people to her webinar. So yesterday she held the webinar. She had 119 people go to her webinar. She's following our, the exact blueprint. I'm coaching her. I've been guiding her for the last four months and she's working with us for the next, for the, for, for a year. So she has eight months left in her deal. However, Yesterday, she had 119 people on her webinar. Now, because she's no longer doing the one-to-one, she's doing one-to-many, she's now have time freedom. So if you, on her Facebook and her Instagram, she's in Dubai today, but she's hosted a webinar yesterday. So very similar to my experience where I was able to have this time freedom and I could be traveling and just host webinars, she's doing the same thing now. So four months ago, four months ago when she started, she had a brick and mortar business where she would, people would walk in and she was stuck in her city. Today, she's in Dubai and she's always traveling and so on and so forth. So one of the things I would say that one of the reasons that she needed this system is because she she adopted one of her grandkids. And because she adopted her grandkids, she's now back to being a mom and, and essentially taking care of the little ones now. And because of that, she needs to be able to still make money, but also have the time freedom to be with her family. So she was looking for yeah. a system and... She's been on our software for, I don't know, a year and a half. And then she came to us and she said, I'm trying to figure out what else I could do to take back my time. And that's when she learned about our webinar management system. And then she's following that snapshot and that blueprint every single month. And our snapshot, the way that it works, it automatically updates the day of the webinar, automatically registers, re-registers people who respond with the trigger links and chat automation that we built in the snapshot. So she, it's all hands off to her. She does not have to touch the funnel at all whatsoever. It automatically updates the next flyer date. It automatically updates the next uh, date for the webinar. She, we preset it the year, a year in advance. And that's how I, I did it for myself. And that's how we did it for her. So because her system's built with this robust snapshot that took us four years to build, she's able to travel. So she's able to travel and be with her grandkids. And I'm, I go up when I log into Facebook, I, she just celebrated her anniversary. But yesterday she did a demonstration for 119, 119 people for her program, which it would have took her 119 one-hour sales calls. Right. Damn, that's an awesome impact story, dude. Why don't you tell everyone that's listening, since we're on the subject, how much is that program? So including, obviously she's in your software, she's got the snapshot and she's learning from you. What do you guys sell that for and where can they find that? Uh, it's $35,000 a year. and. That doesn't include the SaaS or the software. It's just thirty-five thousand a year for that specific thing. But what I did is for the people who are in the high-level community, 
I have a do-it-yourself setup. If you already understand, if you can watch my, my video of me showing you how to set it all up, I give you the snapshot and I give you the snapshot and I give you a tutorial video for free. So if you want that, go to Go SaaS Launch. And if you go to that web page, you can actually download it, install it inside of your high-level account and implement it, everything that I'm doing inside of your business. Man, that's value right there. That's crazy. And we're going to put that URL in the show notes and everything. Fishing in a strong note. Yeah. I think this is a good time to wrap it up, boys. I think we've done a really good job here. Lots of value has been thrown around. And let me take over then. Andy, thank you so much, mate, for jumping on this podcast, being our guest today and adding an extra 30 minutes of your valuable time. So we really appreciate that. Guys listening, we appreciate you as well. Thank you for being part of the show so far. This is episode number four, and we're super excited to see where it takes us. We're in 2024. Big year for all of us. A lot of opportunity here right now. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then please share it with your fellow agency mates and other high levelers that you think would also benefit from listening. For show notes, links, and extra tips to help you grow your agency or your SaaS with high level, please go to highlevelexperience.com. Thank you and have a great rest of your day. And P.S. Don't forget to submit your impact story to be featured on our next episode. If you're interested to be a, a guest on the next episode as well, just head over to the same website, highlevelexperience.com and see if you qualify. And lastly, if you're interested to advertise, we do have some advertising spots available right now. So if you're interested in that, just head over to, again, highlevelexperience.com forward slash advertise. 